Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. And on this episode, we are continuing our series on wine influencers. And today we have John Jackson, who is often known as Attorney Psalm on Instagram. John, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. We've interacted quite a bit over Instagram. Obviously, your name is Attorney Sam. I was wondering if you can kind of give us a little background about yourself and uh, how you got into wine. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I've been in the wine drinking business anyway for a long time, practicing law. We have a lot of social events and business dinners and so forth, and started drinking some wine that way. And one of my colleagues actually does a lot of legal work for Oprah Winfrey. I had a business dinner with him one night, and he ordered an Opus One. And that was the first time I'd ever had a wine of that caliber. And it, it really just kind of blew me away. And I didn't realize wine could, could taste like that. And so within six months, I ended up heading out to Napa and spent about a week there and did a number of visits with winemakers and in visiting the wineries. And it's kind of all snowballed from there. And how long ago was that? I believe that was 2009. So I think it was the 2007 Opus One that I tasted. And then I was there in the summer of 2009. So you drink a lot of high-end wines I've seen on your profile, First Gross and Culty Napa Cabs. Do you have favorite styles of wine or older versus younger wines? I do. I actually tend to like wines with some age on it. And probably my favorite, if I could only pick one, would be Northern Rhone. And so I would say Cote Roti and, and Hermitage in particular are my two favorites. So if I could have nothing but... Pigal and Shav, I'd be a pretty happy person. <laughs> I think we're, we're all in that group. <laughs> you have Pigal and Shav. Good choices. <laughs> so you're turning by day, which is a job that is often known with a lot of hours, essentially how you make money by having a lot of hours. But you're also a wine lover and you spend a lot of time doing these posts and commenting. You know, I noticed a lot of your posts have, you know, thousands of likes and 200 comments. And when I see 200 comments, I think, I think that means you wrote a hundred of them because you're responding to every single person. So, I mean, how much time do you spend on this? And when did you actually get started writing the blog in, in this actual format that you're doing on Instagram? Sure. So I started tinkering around with Instagram probably about two years ago. And then for the first couple of months, it was just under my personal name and I would just post a picture and I didn't really even know what I was doing. And then after two to three months, I started to get more into it. And the reason I did is because it was actually a pretty good creative outlet for me. And I do a lot of business traveling when there's not a, a quarantine going on. I typically travel maybe 100 days a year, oftentimes for work. And so a lot of what I would do is just business travel by myself. And then I would have dinners, for example, and maybe have a, a nice glass of wine or a decent meal if I'm in San Francisco or New York or one of these other cities that have really good restaurants and some nice opportunities for wine. And then it, it pretty much became something for me to do to entertain myself when I was just by myself working. At the end of the day, it was a good way to kind of unwind. So I just started taking pictures during my meals and then writing about it when I got back to the room once I was done for the day. And that's kind of how I started. But I probably started that format maybe Looks like November of 2018 was my first post that's kind of in this sort of format. So a little more than a year and a half now. 
And in terms of time commitment that you spend in a given week, I mean, it's it seems substantial given the amount of interaction you have either with me and other people, but also on your own content. Quite a bit. And that's why I try not to post more than every third day. You know, typically every third day I'll post. Occasionally it will be a little bit more than that if I have to do it every other day for some reason, but generally no more than three per week. And it's primarily due to the reason that you mentioned, it's that when I do it, I try to respond to every single comment that comes in. And that's a pretty big time commitment. And so I can't really devote more than two at the most three days to it. And typically one of those will be on the weekend. And so then you're talking about maybe one during the week. Uh, Oftentimes work later the night before just to get it done. And so I'll have a little bit more free time the next day. But especially during the current situation when I'm primarily working at home anyway, that's a little bit easier to do because it doesn't really matter if I do my work the night before or the following morning. Right. Well, that's pretty fast buildup to 11,000 followers on Instagram and less than two years. Do you use other social media platforms for your wine content? I think maybe six months ago, I started a Facebook account for the first time. I'd never actually had it before. And the only reason that I did it is because sometimes people would post things on Facebook and it would be things like their birthday party that I wanted to attend and I wouldn't even know about it. And then I would be offended they didn't invite me. (laughs) And I said, well, we put it on Facebook. And after that happened two or three times, I finally just did it so I could see things like that. And now oftentimes I'll just do a mirror post so I can just click the button and then it will post my Instagram content to Facebook as well. But other than that, I don't really spend too much time on Facebook. But I recently did start Twitter. I think initially I signed up and claimed my name, and I've done that on TikTok as well. But I I don't really do much on them. But maybe about four weeks ago, I started working on Twitter a little bit more. And so I think now I'm up to 120 followers or something there. But I'm still trying to figure out Twitter. I noticed you mentioned earlier that you're working on the WC Diploma and I respect people who do that, take that journey, who aren't actually in the trade day to day, because it's a it's a huge investment in terms of you know developing and the and that jump from the other classes to that is a, a substantial. And I'm curious on how that has helped inform what made you take that leap in the diploma, but also like how has that changed some of your outlook on the content or the wine world? Sure. So it was interesting because I actually finished my level three, I believe, in 2015 or 16, quite a while ago. And I wasn't sure if I'd want to go to the next level. I I thought I probably would, but my instructor in Dallas that I really, really liked thought she was going to be able to to teach it in person at some point. And I really enjoyed the in-person classes, especially for the tasting. I think that's by far the best way to do it. I kept waiting and waiting for her to be able to offer it. And then at some point, figured I wasn't getting any younger. And so if I was going to do it, I may as well just sign up online. And so I did that actually last fall because I had a case that settled. And so I had a little bit more time. And so maybe about a week before the enrollment deadline, I signed up. And then I've already finished units one and two. And my research paper will be submitted by this time next week. So I'll be about 40% done, I believe, at that point. And I just started the sparkling wine unit as well that just started this week. That's a fun one unit when I did it years ago. I think you're also asking about my outlook, but it's definitely changed significantly since then, especially with that first unit, just on winemaking and and everything that goes into the growing of the grapes in the vineyard. I mean, that 
kind of mind-boggling how much detail they went into. Uh, you just really, uh, as they say, you don't really know how little you know until you start to learn some things. <laughs> and so I definitely have a, a far greater appreciation for everything that goes on in the vineyard as well as in the winery. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of information for the diploma. So in terms of your social profile on uh, Attorney Som. So who is someone that follows you? What does their profile look like? I'm not sure if there is any one particular demographic. Even geographically, it's fairly spread out. I think the United States is, is less than a third. Then Italy is second, France is third. And then it's Brazil and the UK. So I'm, I'm not sure how there's 6.5% Brazilian followers because I haven't necessarily posted about Brazilian wines or anything yet. But, but the one thing I did do, I think, early on is I actually used the hashtag for wine in Portuguese. And so I think that maybe um, allowed me to get some exposure with people who spoke Portuguese. And, and so maybe that was the reason for that. Do you think the France and Italy followers are wineries mostly or... Do you think they're just consumers in France and Italy? It's both, because oftentimes what I'll do is, for example, in November, I did a trip to Piedmont. And so then I'll do a full week and sometimes after where I'm doing lots of posts about Italian wine and truffle pasta and things of that nature. And so I get huge amounts of Italian followers from that. And it's everything from Italian restaurants who have truffle pasta to certainly the wineries that I would visit and other wineries in the region. And lots of consumers as well. That just happens. Whenever I do a trip or a tour through somewhere, I'll do a lot of posts there and I'll, I'll get more followers. I'm actually surprised France isn't higher because probably I post about more French wine and champagne than anything else. And so for that to be a little bit more than half of what Italy is, is quite surprising. And in terms of gender, would you say you're more male or more female? It's 60 40 in favor of men, fairly balanced. And then the age demographic, you know, 82% are between 25 and 55, which is probably about what you'd expect. And then it's pretty evenly distributed. So I think certainly there's some people who enjoy high-end wines. There's also some people who enjoy learning about wines. And I try to explain the regions in more detail and so forth. And, and so, especially with the Sips Around the Globe initiative, oftentimes I'll choose to write about the wine region for the winery that we're working with. And then I'll get into pretty good detail about the wine region. And I think some people enjoy that. And then I've started also trying to make some recommendations about QPR wines, you know, good value wines as well. And certainly those have been fairly well received. Yeah, I remember your prototype, Barbaresco. I'm 100% aligned with that. And actually, some of the Google wines. So can you talk a little bit about the Sips Around the World, that initiative? Because I know you've mentioned it to me before, but I've never participated in it. So I'm curious on what exactly it is. Sure. So there's a couple individuals, Wine and Bubble Lover and in Sylvain, who started this project. And basically what it was is a way for the group to be able to work with wineries, especially small wineries, who don't necessarily have a sophisticated internal marketing team and would like to try to reach a broad range of people. And so what they did is they picked one person from a number of countries who is someone who had a good presence on Instagram and whose writing they liked and who did a good job. And so now we have a group of 11 different influencers with a collective reach of more than 100,000, and we're all in different countries. And so what we'll do is we'll work with 
brands who reach out to us and are interested in working with us. And then they'll typically send us wine for evaluation. And then we will work on a schedule and we'll each each post about it, but we'll try to take a different angle. So some person will, or one person will write about a wine review. Another person might write about a food and wine pairing. Someone else might write about the wine region. But the idea is to cover pretty much everything relating to that particular winery and then to be able to hit and target a bunch of different countries through our collaboration. So each winery sends wine to all 11 people in all different countries? It's not necessarily all 11 people because there's some legal and logistical challenges with getting wine into some countries like Canada, for example, has been the most problematic. But typically there'll be at least six or seven countries and and we have flexibility in terms of letting them select which countries they want to cater to. For example, there was one winery who didn't want to send anything to the U.S. and, and that was fine. So I got the week off that week. But then other times they've wanted to work with the U.S. and then I'm happy to, to help out as well. So it's really up to that individual winery. But the idea was that we could have kind of more consistent promotion for them and collaboration rather than just having, you know, one individual post one time and then being done with it. And are you guys targeting those all to launch in the same week window? It's all hitting at the same time? We've done it a couple different ways, but Some of it depends on the collaboration, but oftentimes it will be a two-week collaboration with the number of people that we have. And so we'll typically not do two consecutive weeks. So we might do one week and then we'll do something else the following week. And then we'll come back to that first winery, maybe week three or four. There was one winery also who had more some wines that you might drink in the fall, like an Amarone. And so with them, it was more seasonal where we did a post about their lighter red wines in the summer. And then we're going to come back in September and, and post about the Amarone. So is that mostly wines from wine exporting regions? So, you know, smaller wineries in the U.S. who don't export a lot, I, I would think that would be challenging for them to get the wines everywhere. I think so. Yeah, typically it's been with European producers so far. There's one that I'm talking to now that's that's in the United States, but that could be just a a solo project where it's just me, because you're right, it is more difficult for them to export. Right. Getting that whole export value chain set up is quite a bit of work. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But so far, it's been well received. We really just started in May. And I think our page now is up close to about 1500 followers already. That's pretty good progress. And some of the wineries who have participated have seen pretty big growth in their pages as well. And so I think they've all been very, very happy with it so far. And is that a paid partnership or is this just to do with samples and knowledge so that you guys can have content? It depends. And it depends on the project. And we have different packages. But certainly if the winery doesn't have a budget for payment, we're willing to accommodate them in terms of wines if they prefer to provide wines for sampling and and evaluation and so forth as well. So it really just depends what it is that they're able to do and what it is that they're asking in terms of how many posts in which countries and those sorts of things. Getting back to how you grew your following on Instagram specifically, since that's your primary platform, what are some of the ways that you grew it? You mentioned you went and visited other locations and did a lot of posts and that generated, was it just that or were there specific tactics you learned that help you grow your following? I actually watch a lot of YouTube videos and I would try to figure it out (laughs) by watching YouTube videos just so like if I was trying to 
open the hood of the car and add more oil or something like that. So that's kind of how I started because yeah, I'd never done Facebook or anything else and really didn't know what I was doing at all when I started. And so I learned a lot that way. Maybe it took me another month or two before I even did my first story. So certainly stories have become a big part of what I do and, and of trying to attract people. But I try to stagger the content as well so that it doesn't become too repetitive. And so you won't see me typically posting about any one particular type of wine on consecutive posts. And with champagne, I'll, I'll try to mix in a champagne every fourth or fifth post and just trying to keep it fresh and new so that it's just not predictable, I think is the main thing. Because that way you don't lose followers, which is always a concern. And then in terms of trying to, to gain followers, I think I always just try to do my best in terms of the content and then responding to people. And I also support the people who are good to me in terms of supporting my page. So I'll oftentimes read their posts. I don't just turn off Instagram when I'm done following or responding to my comments. I'm pretty good about uh, networking with other people who are posting as well. That helps too. And what would you say are some of the learnings or mistakes you made as you're building up your page and trying to grow your following? We've all had them, but it's maybe interesting to share a few of those. There were a couple. I think one thing that I did was you know, I may have done some follow for follow back when I was first starting. I didn't really know. And I was trying to, to figure out how to grow a little bit. And then I ended up getting a lot of accounts that I didn't necessarily want to follow or things that I wasn't interested in. And so it took a little bit of time to clean that up so I could focus on just wine. Because initially when I was just posting personal things, I didn't really know any better. And I would just typically accept anyone who would follow me and follow them back right away, just like I would on a LinkedIn or, or something like that, because that was pretty much my only social networking experience before Instagram. And the other thing I did was I used to post a lot more about restaurants in my actual static posts. And I think it's good to have a niche in terms of the algorithm, where before I would notice that anytime I would do a post about a restaurant, the reach was far lower than if I would post about wine. And so now if I do try to include a culinary component to it, either I'll do it as a story or I might do it in the context of a wine pairing, but not, not so much just a restaurant review. Interesting. So in terms of the story versus post, how do you tailor your content differently for those? Like, so what are some of your like takeaways in terms of strategy for content there? Sure. So if I'm on a, a trip on vacation or, or somewhere and I have a good travel picture, I won't hesitate to post that as a story, but unless it has some sort of a, an alcoholic beverage component, I probably wouldn't do a static post on it. And so recently I was in New Mexico and there was a post where I was on the, the rooftop bar at, with the sunset drinking a beer. And so that was a picture that I thought I could do a post about. But if it's just a, a plain sunset, like I had the night before, then I just did a story about it. So I think I have more leeway to do things that are unrelated to wine and to my niche in the context of stories than I would as a post. A lot more freedom just to kind of like document what you're doing and got it. Yeah, exactly. And at one point, I actually even had an attorney some travel page. Oh. I had a second Instagram page, but I ended up getting rid of that just because it was, it was too much and too much work keeping track of two of them. And I also wasn't quite as passionate about that. And so even though I had some nice travel pictures, 
I decided not to do those in the context of a second page, but to just put them on stories as I received them. So when you do a post, do you go and audit and, and figure out what resonates with your audience and adapt to what you just mentioned when you did a restaurant post, it didn't do as well. So are you actively always going to look at the last few posts and kind of like analyzing like what went well, what didn't go well? A little bit, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily trying to hit it out of the park with every single post. I don't necessarily have to go for record engagement every time. I think sometimes if you post about something that's new, you might actually gain more followers, even if your engagement and your reach isn't as high, which I think is valuable as well. And then there's always just things that I feel like posting about or I want to write a post about just because I think it's interesting. And, and that's fine too. So if I ever really do want to post that I think is going to do really well, I know exactly what to do. And so I can pick out just one of the big, the big name first gross from Bordeaux, and it's pretty much going to do better than anything else. <laughs> so is, is that what Just do that every day. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you've learned drives all your likes and comments? Like the better wines, the better the wine, the more engagement you're going to have? I would say Bordeaux is the most consistent for sure. But there have been a lot of surprises though. Like the, the Protatory post, for example, did extremely well. And now there was actually a post that I did about my visit to Ridge Winery and just the Ridge Winery tasting room that did extremely well. And I think that was back when I maybe had 5,000 followers and it had maybe 1,000 likes or at least 900 likes. It was by far and away my biggest post, I think, at the time. And so that one kind of surprised me. The other reason it was surprising is because the picture for it was in layout format. And I used to do all kinds of layouts, especially with my restaurant posts. And then I've learned that those don't necessarily do as well either as just a regular picture. I've kind of gotten away from that. As the social media noob, Robert's the expert and I'm the noob, layout means there's a bunch of pictures together? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. For whatever reason, those don't seem to do as well. But the reason I would do them is because if I would do a restaurant review, I didn't want to have just pictures of food. And at the same time, I, I thought if it was about a restaurant, I should have some food on there. So I would try to do maybe the three or four best pictures and make sure there was at least some wine in there. And some of those still did pretty well, but they never really did quite as well as just a really good picture of wine. Right. And have you found that certain types of content will extend your audience and go beyond the people who are already following you? Like that's something that I often look at in terms of, is this content branching out through the algorithm to get me more awareness? I think so, but it's, it's kind of a moving target. And I think that's changed quite a bit too. I think maybe a year ago, it was a lot easier to do that. And I could just post about something new and I would still get good reach. But now it seems like, unless it's a post that just does extremely well, the reach is a little bit more modest. So I'm kind of struggling with that right now in terms of figuring out what to do. But I do like to mix up the topics. You know, now I'm going through a bit of a, a Spanish phase and I'll do a little bit more about Spain. And I've certainly done Italy and in France a fair amount. I mix in lots of United States wines, especially Napa and done a fair amount of Oregon because I've done Willamette trips the past couple of years. Yeah, I just like to keep mixing things up. And I think the more variety you have, you're always going to find a different demographic. I think, Robert, like when you did your Catania live, you probably had a lot more 
followers and attention from South America than you did before that. So Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've always had a pretty decent Brazil following as well. And it's an interesting thing because like I tend to drink wine from all over, but like there's clearly certain wines do better in my post. And and you had mentioned, you know, first growth Bordeaux, like those directly drive it. So some people, not necessarily you, but some people, whatever gets the most likes, they just keep doing more of that. And so some would argue is like, well, why aren't you posting a Bordeaux every three days or high-end cult Napa wine. And if you, obviously there's some financial implications to doing that, but sometimes the audience starts to train the poster versus you training the audience of what you're going to post. I was wondering if you had thoughts on how do you balance that paradigm? Because it's very easy to do things that are going to give you that visceral reaction of, oh, I got a lot of likes from this post. So they, people liked it. So I want to do more of those. Like, how do you balance that so that they're, you're training them versus them training you? Well, some of it is I just like to drink more things than that, too, and I get excited about other things as well. And it is a creative outlet for me, and I like to write about new things. And I would get bored just posting about one type of wine all the time. So I would never do that, even if it did much better than everything else. And if it means it does a little less well than some others, that's fine with me. And I don't mind that because it just means I have more time to to do other things as well and in less time responding to comments and I don't need to have a record post every time. So I like the variety. I like to, to learn about new regions. And one of the best things about the SIPs around the globe initiative is that I'm learning about a lot of different new regions that I wouldn't necessarily study on my own. I'm also getting to taste those wines and I'm going to have some tasting exams coming up. And so it also helps to be able to, to taste wines from all over the place. So I've really enjoyed learning about different regions and there's so many things that I like that I would never just want to limit myself to one particular category, even if I know it's going to do much better than everything else. And I also think there's diminishing returns. I think if you would, if you would post about the same sort of wine every single day, like if I did eight consecutive first growth Bordeaux posts, I think you would start to see them tapering off in terms of their effectiveness. And so I don't think it can go back to the well too often before it starts to kind of kill the goose that laid the golden egg, so to speak. Makes sense. That makes sense. So sips around the world is one way that you've interacted with wine brands. Would love to hear more just around the other ways that you've interacted with either wineries or wine retailers or other people who've reached out to you. What else have you done in that space? Sure. And so... A lot of times what I'll do is if I'm going to visit a wine region, I'll start reaching out to producers and just letting them know that I'll be in town and if they can set up a visit. And that's had some pretty good success. I think the first time I did that was about a year ago in July when I went to Willamette and I ended up getting maybe three or four visits set up. And I'll typically do three three or four like that. And then the rest of them, I'll just do a normal visit like a, a regular tourist just because there's only so many posts from one region that I can do within a reasonable time. It worked out great. I think then I maybe had six or 7,000 followers and I found some wineries who were interested in hosting me. One even sent the winemaker to do the tasting with me and we did a barrel sample and spent two hours with the winemaker. So that was a great experience and encouraged me to keep doing it. And so most recently, probably I got one in in early March, I was in Santa Ines 
in California and did the same thing. Had a few visits set up when I was there for work. And, you know, not every winery will say yes, but you can find enough of them that are interested that you can put together a good trip and get some really good experiences that way. And so that's certainly one thing that I'll do. Oftentimes, people will reach out to me as well. And whether it's someone sending a message on Instagram from a winery or public relations firms will reach out as well and express interest. I don't necessarily say yes to all of them, certainly. There's plenty that I've said no to because I have plenty of wine to drink here, so I don't necessarily have to stretch or do something that I don't think I would enjoy posting about or that people would, would not necessarily want to read about on my page. And so I'm pretty selective in the brands that I work with, but I have found that probably most of it comes from people reaching out to me. But then when I'm more proactive, it's when I'm going to be in a certain location on a trip and then I'll, I'll reach out to the producers as well. So when they reach out to you, what are they offering? Is it just samples for post? Is it some sort of sponsorship or giveaways or something else? It depends. Certainly I've done, I think, one giveaway. Other than that, there actually have been a couple where there's been a paid post. Then a lot of it is samples, it seems like. So I think most people prefer to provide samples and not payment. That's certainly much easier to do. So for something like that, it's definitely got to be something that, that I'm interested in, in drinking and then also something that I'd actually want to post about on my page because I certainly wouldn't want to post something that I didn't believe in or, or didn't think was a product that I would want people to drink and then say, well, attorney Sam posted about it. He thought it was good. And then they tried and, and they don't like it. So, or they think it's not a good value. So I'm more concerned about probably the reputation than I am just about making a few bucks here, or there, or getting some free wine. Does the payment actually make a difference in your mind with that? elevate someone who or a brand that was you weren't sure about and you give it a go or how do you think about that i don't think that there's anything that i've done for payment that i wouldn't have done for you know something comparable in terms of samples i think it's just that for whatever reason those particular places were offering that instead of the wine and so that was fine as well it was more where it's now, there's sort of a certain value that I would typically get to make it worthwhile to do something like that and not just post about something that I think is fun on my own, whether it's actual cash or, or gift cards or, or wine for samples kind of depends on the, on the brand and the circumstances. And I can be flexible and work with all of them depending on what it is that works best for them. If you don't mind sharing, what's sort of the range that people come to you with in terms of value? It depends. A lot of them will try to just say, you know, we'll do a bottle or two bottles or whatever it might be, but it varies a lot on the wine. And, you know, sometimes there's a different ask. For example, a, a California producer approached me and wanted me to do full evaluations with scores for them individually, as well as uh, a post on the, the personal page, the attorney Sam page. For that, they sent... I think it was about six bottles total, pretty much the whole lineup. And then I did individual evaluations and reviews for all six wines, as well as a pretty comprehensive post and a couple stories as well. But there's some others where maybe they'll say it's, it's one bottle or two bottles. And, and then I think, 
you know, if I'm spending 30 minutes to an hour to draft a post and then another three to four hours to, to work comments for a post, it's got to be something that, that I'm interested in doing. But certainly I am someone who will take into account if it's a smaller winery and they're just getting started, oftentimes like working with them as well. But if it's a bigger winery who I know, they certainly have the wherewithal to provide some samples and then I'll keep that in mind as well. So it's pretty much all just case-by-case basis. And have you seen the engagement vary with your audience if it's a paid post versus something that you just do organically on your own? Or is it the audience doesn't recognize any difference? I think generally the sponsored posts do a little bit less well than if I'm just posting something that's just totally something that I'm doing on my own. But it's not a huge difference, and some of them still do quite well. You know, certainly the Sips Around the Globe collaborations, despite the fact that most of those have not been big brands, they've done quite well when I've been posting about the region. Oftentimes, I'll ask for pictures from the winery as part of it, and then I'll give them photo credits, certainly. But they have professional photographs that look really, really good in the post, and and then I'll do a nice discussion of the region, and, and, and they still do quite well. Have you heard from the brands if all the posts have done much in terms of driving sales or mailing list signups or whatever it is that they're looking for? They really haven't. I know sometimes they do ask me to provide them with the metric information for the posts, and they've always been pleased with it. And I haven't really done anything that requires a specific code that would be used for tracking. So I know that they haven't complained. And in some instances, I've heard that influencers will sometimes have to provide more consideration or additional content for brands to be happy. And that certainly hasn't happened to me. The one thing I can say is that I know that typically a lot of the comments that I receive will be, especially for a wine that's available in the market currently, how can I get it in a particular market? Or is it distributed in a certain country or state, that sort of thing. And frequently I am also tagged on posts where people might be drinking and and tasting wines that I've posted about. And they want me to know that they're actually drinking them and what their thoughts are about the wine. So that certainly happened on a number of occasions as well. So I think certainly when you're talking about the samples that are provided or, or the modest amount of cash payment, I think that certainly there would be a pretty decent return on investment because I'm, I'm quite certain that some people are buying them. And having said that, though, I think that it's also important to consider the general exposure and brand recognition that would come around through the content rather than just specifically trying to tie it to sales. Because I think in many instances, there could be a delayed reaction or there's some value to the brand familiarity and just getting their name out there again that I think is very, very useful and, and that should not be underemphasized. You've recently been doing a bunch of Instagram Lives. How did those play in? Are those something that you're doing because it's your curiosity about the content or are those more of a brand partnership? Yeah, so it started out where a couple of places reached out to me to ask about doing them. And so I hadn't done them before. Chateau Lagrange was my first one. So they reached out to me and asked if I'd be willing to do it. And I said, sure, absolutely. So I enjoyed doing that. And then started working with a couple of champagne houses. Certainly Philippe from Charles Heidseek, Philippe Andre, is someone who I met a couple times last year and spent some time tasting with him in person. 
that was my second one, but he's actually the only one that I've asked to do it myself. Everyone else has approached me about it. So yeah, typically is a collaboration where I'll do some promotional stories and then also a post, a fairly detailed post in many instances. And then I'll do the live session after that. So those are a fair amount of work. It takes a lot more work to prepare for a live than it does for a post. And also, it's an hour long, typically, up to an hour long for the actual live itself. But I really enjoy them. And I think that a lot of the followers enjoy them as well. And so they don't necessarily do quite as well as the best static posts. But I think they probably help to form a deeper relationship with your core base. And I think that's where they come in handy. Interesting. So kind of wrap up what you're saying, we like to ask every guest, what do you think is a lasting trend in the social media wine influencer space? And what do you think is a fad that will fizzle? Yeah, so I think that the virtual tastings are probably going to be a lasting trend. I think they've been going pretty well. I certainly enjoy doing them. I think you probably do as well. And I know that a lot of the wineries really enjoy them. And, you know, I keep suggesting that people maybe do some static posts as well, but everyone keeps wanting to do the <laughs> the live sessions. So got a bit of a backlog on those and, and that's great because I enjoy doing them. So I think that will stick because it's it's just an easy way for them to be able to reach a large group of people and something they can do without having to travel. I think it's something that's definitely going to be something that sticks. And in terms of fad? Seems like TikTok maybe on the decline lately. I'm not sure if that's going to be around for too much longer, but I don't think wine has really gained too much traction on TikTok yet. That might be something that, that's not going to stick around as long. You need to work on K-pop dance moves with, with wine. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for sharing all this wonderful information. I really appreciate your candor and transparency about all those things. I think it will help wineries and wine brands understand how to better work with influencers. I've long posited that it's not about the influencer's size of their audience as much as about the engagement of that. And your audience definitely has a very, very strong engagement and one of the strongest that I've seen in terms of ratios. Yeah, I've been very, very pleased with that. I know I kept from the YouTube videos and so forth and the other research that I did I kept expecting that the engagement rate would would decline and get much lower the larger I grew, but it's still typically way over 10% for pretty much any post, including even a lot of the collaboration posts. So yeah, it it still does really well. So I'm pleasantly surprised by that and, and certainly enjoying that. And I think part of the reason is just because I enjoy the networking and the collaboration and working with people. And so I think people can tell that I'm enthusiastic about it and that I like to talk about it and that resonates with people. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers.